So when I would preach regularly on Sunday morning, weekends, most of my preaching was series, topical. I would take a, a topic and preach half a dozen sermons on it, and then I would take a different topic. And uh, one of the, the things about it when I was doing topical is that I always was trying to think up something new. So if it preached it in the last 10 years, I didn't want to redo it because I figured you'd heard it already. Now, when I'm doing this passage preaching where I take a book and just go through it, then whatever the passage is is what I preach on. And so if you've already heard it, it doesn't matter because that's what's next in the passage, so that's what we look at. And so uh, tonight is going to be one of those sermons that most of this information you will have heard. It's basic, but it's the kind of information that it doesn't hurt to hear it just about every week because we forget things quite easily uh, some of these basics that are important for the foundation. And so hopefully it'll, you'll remember it. You won't think, oh, I never heard that before because <laughs> I actually preach quite a bit as subpoints and even uh, regular sermons. So we're in Philippians 2, 16 through 18. I've only got 15 more weeks to get through the book, and so uh, most of the time I'll do more than a couple of verses. Otherwise we'll, we'll, we'll be on Philippians until Jesus comes. And so we'll do longer passages. But this one here, I wanted to get, it, the content was a couple of verses. So holding fast the word of life. Holding fast the word of life. Word of life. That's the Bible. That's what we read. That's our, our authority. That's how we live our life. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, the day of Christ, uh, Paul uses that three times in the book of Philippians. That's the day we stand before Christ, the day we see him. And so another way of saying it would be the day that uh, we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ, the day of Christ. I will have reason to glory. I will have reason to glory. In the day of Christ standing before him, uh, I will be able to glory. Because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. My life counted. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, Paul was on the edge of being martyred. He didn't know when, but he knew it probably wasn't that far away. Even if I'm, on the, I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. So Paul was always rejoicing in the book of Philippians, and he commands it repeatedly, rejoice always, rejoice always. And so he said, even though I'm right on the edge of getting martyred, I rejoice. You too, ur I urge you, share, uh, rejoice in the same way, share your joy with me. So if I had more time, we'd cover that rejoicing one, but I'm going to hit that one in a bigger way a little bit later. So tonight we're going to look at the, the phrase, hold fast the word of life and in the day of Christ, those two topics. Number one, and you know, it's holding fast the word of life as an attitude of survival, of desperation. So I have gone skydiving four times, and uh, I had opportunity to go four more times, I think, besides that. Lloyd goes every year, and I usually try to go with him, but uh, on numerous occasions, the date that he picks or various things interfere, I'm not able to go. And... Uh, and so let's just pretend for a minute that I go skydiving this year, and it's a tandem jump, and that, that is a guy that's an expert who does it a lot. Uh, you're strapped to, and he does all, I mean, you don't even have to decide to jump out of the plane. He does it for you, and uh, he pulls the chute, does everything. You just go along for the ride, and so it's a, kind of a cool way to do it. The first time I went, I asked the guy. He was close to my age. I said, how often do you do this? He said, I do it about 
five times a week uh, for almost 60 days during the summer. And uh, he said, I make $100 every time I jump. And every day, every, every five days and every day, he jumps about five times. So $500 times five uh, times two months, uh, it's pretty good income for the summer. And, uh, but because he had done it so much, he really was, I, I enjoyed him because he talked to me and told me what to do. And I says, have you ever, you know, lost anybody? And he says, no, no. And then uh, I'm under a harness and he's under a harness and they go, both go to the chute. But when we're in the airplane, then he straps us together real tight. And he says, suck in your breath. And he sucks me real tight. And so after we jump out of the plane and we do the skydive thing and he pulls the chute, he says, now I'm going to unhook us. He said, it's going to feel like I just cut you loose from the chute. <laughs> but don't worry, I didn't. And sure enough, when he unhooks us, it's like I move away from him. He's like, ooh. And so let's just pretend that when he releases me, he makes a mistake and he releases me out of my harness. And whoop, there I go. But just before I start to go all the way down, I grab his foot. And uh, so we've got 10 minutes with the parachute before we hit down. There's no way I can climb up. There's no safety rope. There's no safety harness. It's me hanging onto his foot. So a question how hard will I hang on? How tenacious, how desperate, how fierce will my grip be? So I know that if I loosen my grip even a little bit, the fall is not going to be comfortable. Even if I'm just 15 feet before we hit the ground, it isn't going to be comfortable. So I'm going to hang on desperately. So the word here, holding fast, the word of life has that basically built in uh, to the Greek construction. Holding fast, that is, there, there's a sense of desperation, uh, uh, an awareness of what happens if you don't. And so the admonition, holding fast the word of life. Number two, if we truly had the attitude of holding fast the word of life, we would read the Bible every day, memorize key passages systematically, and teach it to others. So our our relationship with the Word, as it were, wouldn't be casual. We would hold it fast with an attitude of desperation and awareness of the consequence if we don't. So that would be the reason why I would hold fast on this dude's foot is what's going to happen if I don't? I recognize what will happen. I'll hit the ground and it won't be pleasant. Hopefully I would go quick so there wouldn't be pain for real long. Uh, I'm always curious, you know, if, if, you, if I didn't, it would be probably 60 seconds worth of falling or longer. I wonder what I would think during that time. That's a long time to fall, thinking, oh, man, I bet this is going to hurt. Uh, you repent, you pray, uh, whatever, because it's coming to an end quick. But I'd hang on. Number three, an attitude of holding fast can be built up in our heart by regularly reminding ourselves of a dozen blessings of Bible intake. 
So I uh, exercise 60 minutes minimum every day. Rarely do I miss a day. And the reason is because the difference between what I feel physically with my Parkinson's and what I don't feel as a result of riding is huge. When I don't ride for a week, I don't exercise for a week, I can barely walk. My muscles hurt every time I move them. There's this intense pain, uh, especially in the big muscles in my legs and the muscles in my back and shoulders. They just, and I move, it's just like I'm being stabbed with a knife. And I, when I stand up, I lose my balance. I can't get out of bed. It's an absolute pain. But if I ride my stationary bike 60 minutes minimum or longer, then I function pretty good. Stand up here and preach. Climbed up the stairs, get down the stairs. I'm thinking about uh, I'm going to run at 8K uh, in March. March, I'm going to ride my bicycle 2,200 miles in May and June. I'm going to climb out Adams August 8th. And somebody says, how do you do that with Parkinson's? I ride my bicycle 60 minutes every day. So my awareness of the consequence if I don't is what motivates me to do it. So when I go home tonight... I'll get ready to get on my bike, and my thought will be, I hate riding this stupid bike. That's pretty much every night what I think. I hate riding this stupid bike, but I do it anyway. Why? Reward, consequence, the difference between when I do and when I don't is significant. Uh, a year ago, uh, this January, I quit eating sugar, and the difference of what I felt compared with what I did was significant. A couple of times, you know, I'll do it for like three months, no sugar, no sugar, no sugar, and I'm thinking, I don't really think it made that much difference, because I can't remember. And so then I eat two pieces of cherry pie, They're just sitting on the counter, and everybody's gone to bed, and I mean, it's going to get stale sitting out there on the counter, and I I don't think it really made that much difference not eating sugar, so I just eat them both. And so then the next day I realize uh, the significant difference between sugar, no sugar. And that difference motivates me. Even though I love ice cream and I love cherry pie and I love almost anything that has sugar in it, I don't eat any because of the huge difference in how I feel. So the awareness of the blessings, the benefits, and the awareness of the consequences motivates and so that's with anything in life. If you want to be motivated to do anything, figure out the consequences if you don't, the blessings if you do, and review them regularly. Review them regularly because it's not that long before you forget. And so I'm going to go over a couple of blessings of reading the Bible, and you know these. By the way, one of the ways I do this is in Psalms 119, there are 50 blessings for reading the Bible. And over the years, there's more than 50, but there's 50 fairly obvious ones. And so on my little iPad that I read my Bible on, I can uh, put a, hit the button on a word, and then the little box opens up, and I can write a note in there. And so the next time I read it, there's a little signal that indicates I have a note, and so I can punch that note up. And so every one of the blessings in Psalms 119, I've put a note on it, and I've color-coded it. And so when I read that chapter once a month on the 24th of every month, I pop those boxes up and read those blessings as I go through the chapter. It takes me about 30 minutes to go through the chapter uh, reading the notes that go there. So every month I review the blessings that are promised in Psalms 119, and it keeps me motivated 
uh, to read the Word because those blessings are significant. So I'm just going to give you a dozen of them uh, rather than 50. Number one, a growing power over sin in our life. Growing power over sin in our life. So moving from being a dirty, rotten sinner to a holy saint is a journey. Uh, And the journey is called sanctification. Sanctification. The word sanctification means being saved from the power of sin. So I was saved from the penalty of sin That's redemption. I was redeemed by the blood of the Lamb the day I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. That's a point in time. I was born again, written in the Lamb's book of life. That happened at a point in time. And so I'm going to be saved from the presence of sin when I die or Jesus comes back. That's glorification. I'm saved from the presence of sin. That's going to be a point in time, depending on how long it takes me to die. So we'll basically say a point in time. Now, if we take those two points and pull a string between the two of them, that is here to there, sanctification. I'm in the process every day of being saved from the power of sin. Now, some people don't get saved much in in between. Their sanctification is kind of on hold, as it were. And it'll go up and it'll go down and it'll go up and it'll go down. The idea that God has for us is that we would start here and we would become increasingly more holy and more pure and more sanctified as we live our life. And so the question is, how do I become clean, uh, free from the power of sin? It's a process that happens over time gradually. And so there are tools, methods uh, that God has given us, and a primary one is His Word Psalms 119, verse 11, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. So when you faithfully read the word of God, memorize it, study it, the result, one of the results is that you will become increasingly more holy. Sin will have less and less a grip on you, and you will become uh, like Christ in character. That's the goal. Uh, that God has for us. But because we tend to be haphazard in our Bible reading, uh, read it and then get busy. And f- it's, you know, it's sort of like the sugar thing. Oh, man, it's read the Bible every day. Hey, I don't really need to read the Bible every day. Two or three times a week will be plenty. Uh, I don't need to read it three chapters or all the way through. One chapter be should good. Maybe a couple of verses. Maybe I'll just read the daily bread. Uh, and so in our mind, we begin not really... Uh, understanding or focusing on the benefits or the rewards of the blessings that come into our life from reading it. And so a significant one is that we become like Christ. Sin has less and less a grip on us. Number two, we will be successful. We'll be successful to the things we do. Now, we're not using the word success the way the world would in the sense of becoming rich, but what we do, what we attempt to accomplish with our life my definition of success is accomplishing the goals that God has led me to set. Accomplishing the goals that I have written down and I'm pursuing because I believe they're the will of God for my life. And so that would be success for me. And that we could talk about success in our marriage, success with our kids, success in our finances, success in our 
and our job with success in every area of life comes from reading the Bible on a faithful basis. You know Psalms 1, 2, and 3. His delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He delights in it because he recognizes the benefits and the blessings. In his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. His leaf does not wither. And in whatever, whatever, whatever he does, he prospers. Whatever he does, he prospers. So in my iPad, when I write notes right there by that verse, I wrote, is God exaggerating? Is this a hyperbole? Or is it truth? And so I know the answer to that. I'm just trying to think. I read through that sometimes just quickly and read it so often I lose the impact of what it's saying. And whatever he does, he prospers. That's a significant statement. Whatever I put my hand to, whatever I attempt to do, I will prosper. And Joshua 1.8, the same thing. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. That means it's intake regularly, regularly, all the time. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. I was listening to a speaker one time and he said, he was sort of trying to be uh, hyper-spiritual, and he said, you know, the word success is not in the Bible. I wanted to raise my hand and say, excuse me, what translation are you using? Mine has the word success in it several times. But I didn't say that. I just listened, took notes. I knew the point he was trying to make. He was talking about money, making, getting rich. Uh, but that's really not what we want to do. We want to just do well. Uh, be successful in what we put our hands to, the various things in life. Well, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Black and white promise right there. Sometimes we, lose, we just take that for granted and don't realize how powerful it is. Number three, we will grow spiritually. We will grow spiritually. That's the part of us that goes to heaven when we die. So there's the inside me, the inner person, and there's the outer person that you see Paul said, though my outer man is decaying day by day, my inner man is being renewed daily. And so the outside, that's my life first, by the way. My outer man is decaying. <laughs> I don't know how you've, that one's true of you, but I feel that one daily. My outer man is decaying. And, but my inner man is being renewed day by day. That is being made more and more like Jesus Christ. Not, not guaranteed. Paul was saying that about himself. That's not true of every believer because if you neglect the Word of God and don't follow the basic disciplines, then that's not true of you. You, you get old on the outside and the inside just stays uh, like a baby. First Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word that you may grow, that you may grow. And so character growth, the inside real me, grows to become like Jesus when I feed myself on the spiritual food of the Word of God. But if I don't, it's like not eating food. I get skinny and eventually will die. <clears throat> Number four, we will grow in wisdom so that we know what to do, what to say in every situation in life. Now, there's multiple sources of wisdom. If you read the book of Proverbs, one source is uh, mistakes. If you learn from your mistakes, you do something that's wrong and you experience consequences in it, it's a bad choice, then in your thinking, if you've got any level of intelligence, you make the connection between that choice and the consequence, and you have this resolve, I'm not going to do that again because this was too painful. Now, if you're dumb, you don't 
connect the dots or you forget about that and you do it again and then you remember, oh yeah, I did that once before. <laughs> you know, they have a name for a person who makes the same mistake twice, but I won't tell you what it is. And then three times is really bad. You gain wisdom simply by making wrong choices and learning from those wrong choices. You gain wisdom, Proverbs says, from talking to people who have already made the wrong choices and tell you, don't do that because this is what happens if you do. That's called getting counsel. You learn from people who are successful because they've gained wisdom and you gain wisdom from them by getting counsel from them. So there's multiple sources of wisdom, but the foundation of every source is the Bible. In other words, your ability to absorb wisdom from other people and from your life experience will only be as strong as the Word of God is in your life. God's Word is the foundation for our wisdom. Psalms 119.97-100 is one of my memory verses. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. They are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, more than old people who should be really wise. I understand more than they do because I have observed or read your precepts or the Word of God. And so I don't know if that definition, so I like that, um, knowing what to do and what to say in every situation you're in, whether it's your marriage, your kids, your job, your money, uh, total of emergency, you know what to do. You make the right choice, you say the right word. And uh, that, that's huge when you talk about the consequences of doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong word in regards to relationships, neighbors, work associates, etc. Number five, we will grow in our power and strength to resist the temptation of the devil. So the devil is a big deal in your life. Paul said in Ephesians, Chapter 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not mine, yours. It's not a, what we would call what we see with our eyes, but our struggle is with principalities and powers and evil forces in heavenly places. It's against demons and Satan who are all the time trying to mess our life up, make our life miserable, fill us full of pain. The devil's goal is to dishonor God by us and through us. And so he will tempt us, deceive us, he will do things in our environment, in our circumstances uh, that will bring pain into our life like he did Job. The devil has a great deal of power in our world today. He's called the God of this world. When uh, he was tempting Jesus, he took him up on a high place. He said, see all these kingdoms and all this glory? I'll give it to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus didn't say, hey, wait a minute, you don't have the power to do that. He didn't say that at all. He simply said, you shall worship the Lord and him alone. Because the devil does have an incredible amount of power over institutions, over government. Just watch the news. You can see that. Education, business, he has his... So he can control a great deal of our environment. He can pull a lot of strings. And then he talks to us. They follow around and just jabber at us. We hear them in the form of thoughts. And so constantly they're trying to get us to sin, mess our life up, and the, the admonition is stand strong, resist the devil, strong in your faith. 1 John 2, 14, I have written to you, you fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. The words father, men, young men is a, a statement about where we are in our Christian life and our growth. It's not um, 
literal people, it's talking about those who start out as babies, then move to young men, and then move all the way up to fathers in maturity in their growth. So he said, I've written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So if you were to study that verse and that little phrase, you have overcome the evil one, uh, that's not you are in the process of overcoming the evil one. It isn't you will overcome the evil one. It is you have. You have now got to the point in your life where stomping on the devil is a piece of cake. You've got this thing worked out, figured out, and he is no match for you. Why? The Word of God abides in you. It lives in you. You are so faithful in reading it and memorizing it and studying it, and it's such a part of your life that when those thoughts pop into your mind, you don't have a problem taking them captive or understanding where they come from because God's Word is in you. And so that is a cool place to get in your life to be able to say, I am strong spiritually, and the devil has no influence in my life. I've overcome him, and I stomp him under my feet and I don't think he even attempts to mess with me because it won't do any good. Uh, resist the devil strong in your faith and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. That is, he leaves you alone and that's the point at which any person can get in their walk with Christ, but they have to have the Word of God abiding in them. Number six, we will grow in our motivation to pray and more and more, and more influence with God when we do pray. Have you ever had this thought? I think I'll go down and pray at the five days of prayer and then not. Ah, uh, maybe I won't. I'm kind of tired tonight. So if you were to rank your motivation, your passion, your desire to pray when there's an opportunity corporately or even faithfully privately and for you to say, on a scale of 1 to 100, where are you? Are you highly motivated in your praying or are you, is it something you just kind of have to... <clears throat> so one of the things that will elevate tremendously our desire to pray is how much of God's Word we put into us. And... It increases our power and our influence with God when we do pray. The more we pray, the more he answers and works in our praying. John 15, 7, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. My words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish. It'll be done for you. So one of the things that we intuitively know without really thinking it consciously is that God answers my prayers. There's this awareness of my position with him and the fact that when I pray, he answers. And if you have this sense that you don't have much clout with God, it's sort of like listening, uh, talking to someone on the cell phone, and you, you go through a spot where you get cut off, but you don't realize it, and you keep talking, and pretty soon you realize nobody's talking back, and you say, hello, hello, how long do you keep talking? I quit pretty quick. So you do the same thing. If you find yourself this kind of trying to grind it out, make it happen, discipline yourself to pray, and you don't really have the desire to pray, it's because there is in you this intuitive sense that it really doesn't do anything anyway. And so the volume of reading, the volume of memorizing, the amount of study, the, the Word of God, when it abides in you, 
there is a heightened power and influence and clout with God. If my word abides in you, ask whatever you w wish and it will be done for you. It's the, the, the way I put this law is God saying to me, if you listen to me, I listen to you. If you don't listen to me, I don't listen to you. In other words, if I read your word, then God listens to my words and answers them. Number seven, our faith will grow stronger and stronger. So if I said to you, do you believe God is here right now? You would say, yes. And so that yes can be purely intellectual in the sense of somebody told you that's true. And so you're sort of acknowledging that information that was communicated to you. And so if you would say, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much faith is that in the presence of God right now where you are? That'd be fairly small. Uh, you're acknowledging information that you heard or were taught. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, God's omnipresent. Yeah, he's here. And that awareness of God's presence, your belief in it, grows. And so when it gets to be a 10, we could say it this way, your awareness of his presence is as strong and as real as if you could actually see him. Um, and so if I were to have coffee with you and say, how strong is your awareness of his presence in your life? Uh, I mean, is it as strong as if you could, I mean, if you could see him, that would, you wouldn't be surprised. That would, that's, your faith is there. Uh, halfway? How about doing things that God promises us rewards from, but it's delayed? Do you really believe it's going to happen? How about giving? Uh, a lot of people don't give much because they really don't have that much faith that God's word is true when he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, uh, I will meet your needs, I will provide for you. Uh, and on uh, the list goes of God says, you do this and I'll do this. That's a faith issue. Often we don't have a whole lot of faith in believing that God's, we'll acknowledge it as true, we'll give um, intellectual assent to it because we've heard it and preached and so we will say it is Romans ten seventeen. faith comes from hearing hearing by the word of Christ so the word hearing somebody asked me once why is the word hearing in there well because of the fact back when Paul uh, wrote this uh, they didn't have umpteen translations and everybody didn't own a Bible most individuals got the word from hearing it read by someone else uh, it was fairly scarce, the letters of Paul, the, uh, the, except for the Old Testament, but even still, most of the intake they got, they got from someone else that would read it, and so they would hear it, and they had to arrange getting together as groups in order to have it read to them. And faith comes from hearing, hearing by the Word of Christ. The more you hear the Word of God, the more now we read the Word of God, the more we memorize it and study it, the stronger our faith becomes. My favorite verse in the Bible is Matthew 17, 20. Jesus said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, they were asking why they couldn't cast this demon out. And he said, truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you don't even have to have a lot of faith. As a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, it shall move, nothing shall be impossible to you. I've got a note right there in my iPad. Is that a hyperbole? Is God overstating that point to impress us, or is it true? 
Nothing will be impossible to me if I have faith as a grain of mustard seed. So in that little note I wrote, there are a lot of things that I don't do, don't accomplish. I wouldn't say I'm close to doing, uh, claiming that nothing is impossible for me to accomplish. So I don't even have faith as, as large as a mustard seed. But I can grow it. Abraham grew strong in faith. And so I can grow my faith stronger. I just need to know how to do it. The primary way that I grow my faith stronger is by faithfully daily reading the Bible, memorizing it, studying it, and my faith will grow strong. Number eight, we will become a person who is free from stress. Free from stress, we will have an inner strength to deal with all pressures of life. Wouldn't it be nice to say that I never worry about anything. I'm never anxious about anything. I never feel any stress about anything coming up in my life. I am absolutely anxiety, worry, stress-free. That'd be kind of cool to say that, wouldn't it? And, and it, you know, it's absolutely true. Psalms 119, 165, those who love your wor word have great peace. Nothing causes them to stumble. They have great peace. Nothing causes them to stumble. Number nine, we will have great joy in our life in spite of circumstances. And so if we have joy that comes from God in spite of circumstances, one of the things that happens is we quit fussing because it doesn't matter whether we have tough times or easy times because we're just as happy in one as we are the other because our joy comes from God, not from good circumstances. The average individual thinks that they would be happy if this were true, if that were true, if this were different, if that were changed. The fact is the devil can control a great deal of the circumstances in your life and he can make you a miserable person if you're dependent on the pleasantness of your life circumstances to, to make you happy. But I can be full of joy in spite of the worst condition in my life if I uh, understand the source of it. Psalms 119.11, I have inherited your testimonies forever. They are the joy of my heart. They are the joy of my heart, the Word of God Psalms 119, 143, trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet your commandments are my delight. They are my delight or my joy. Number 10, we will become confident people with a healthy self-worth and will experience little shame in our life. So it's been determined by people who study people and write books about people, what makes them tick, that our greatest need is as individuals when we talk about physical needs then psychological needs is the need for significance worth value and the greatest fear we have is shame and they talk about the um, greatest fear of men is public speaking it's not really public speaking it's what they'll feel when they get up in front of people and make a fool of themselves and the fear of doing that And if you look up the word shame in Psalms, you'll see it used a lot. And if you look it up in Psalms 119, you'll see every uh, promise for freedom from shame is connected to the Word of God. Uh, Psalms 119, verse 6, Then I will not be ashamed when I look upon your commandments. I will not be ashamed when I look upon your commandments or I read them faithfully. Verse 22, Take away reproach and contempt from me, for I observe your testimonies. I observe or I read your word. Number 11, our inner character will become strong in gratefulness. We'll become positive people who rejoice all the time uh, simply on the basis of reading the Word of God. 
You've probably observed people at work, neighbors, friends, family members, that your thought is, they're sure a negative person. It's, you know, the cup is half empty as opposed to half full. If there's a situation, they tend to see the bad thing in it rather than the good thing, and they grumble quite a bit, complain a lot. Uh, they're not grateful about much of anything in life, and you think, what would it take to change that individual? We're, we're like that uh, by birth, um, and we can change and become incredibly positive and rejoice always and grumble about nothing simply on the basis of feeding ourselves on the Word of God on a daily basis. Uh, Psalm 119, uh, verse 62, At midnight I will rise to give thanks to you because of the influence of your righteous ordinances. Uh, you know, getting, giving uh, thanks is one thing, but getting up and doing it at midnight, that's getting a bit carried away. Uh, and then this one is even more. Uh, Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. Seven times a day I praise you because of of your righteous ordinances because of your word that I read regularly. Number 12, we will know the will of God. We will know the will of God. So you can come ask me and say, I want to know the will of God. Can you tell me what it is? And I'll say, I don't have a clue what God's will is for your life uh, because I don't know what's going on in your head. I don't know a lot of what's going on. I can tell you how you can find out what God's will is because He wants you to know it more than you want to know it. But He isn't going to write it in the clouds. You're going to have to look for it and you're going to have to follow some principles in order to get it from Him. But once you're living in the will of God, anybody understands if you're going to live here in the will of God or over here out of the will of God, which one is going to go better for you? I mean, people that don't know John from Matthew know that one. Uh, so I want to know the will of God, and then it's up to me to live the will of God. I write goals every year, and my goal in writing the goals is I would put on paper what I believe is the will of God for my life. Psalms 119, verse 29, Remove the false way from me, the wrong way, and graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. And so if you read through 119, chapter 119, and just take that one thing about knowing God's will for your life and just sort of, if you're reading it in a hard copy, take a yellow crayon and highlight it. If you're doing it in a computer, just click the button that says highlight, hit yellow, and go through Psalms 119, every reference that has anything to knowing what God's will is in your life. You'll find over a dozen references in that one chapter alone. But God, God, God guides, God leads, God shows, God enlightens. Um, we know what His will is when we read His Word faithfully. Okay, I've only got seven minutes, so the next one is going to have to go really fast. I've been to get both of these covered. Uh, number four, you know, it's the main blessing of holding fast the Word of life is that we will do well at the judgment seat of Christ. So I regularly think about what that's going to be like. I anticipate standing before Jesus and seeing Him and hearing Him say, You wicked, lazy slave! Ooh, how's that going to feel? Or, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful. Enter into the joy of your master. There will be those, 1 Corinthians 3, that everything that they've done in their life, everything is going to be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ, and they will have nothing to show for what they've done uh, with their life. Zero. And the best thing you can do to guarantee that you'll do well at the judgment seat of Christ is to read the Word of God faithfully, faithfully. 
Philippians 2, 16 through 18 again, holding fast the word of life so that, so that, that means the result being, in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. I'll have reason to glory or I will receive glory uh, because I didn't live my life in vain for nothing. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed. Recompensed. My grandson came over to work with me the other day and so we negotiated on his wages. And uh, so I said, I tell you what, I won't tell you what I'm going to pay you per hour until we've worked all day. And I will pay you according to your diligence. Is that okay with you? And he said, okay. So when the day was over, I said, I'm going to pay you 15 bucks an hour because you worked really hard. And uh, he was quite grateful for that. I said, next time you come out to work for Grandpa, we'll negotiate again. Maybe we'll raise it up. So that is called recompense. You're rewarded for what you've done. And so we will be recompensed for our deeds, our deeds, our work, what we've done for Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. That's an event that will occur in my life and yours, and when it's done, it's done. Uh, you, there's, you can't go back and, and do any do-overs. And uh, so it's going to be sad when you see a whole big, long list of things. Jesus said, I glorified the Father, accomplishing the work which he gave me to do. I'd like to be able to get to the judgment seat of Christ and have Jesus say, look at that, everything is crossed off the list of things I gave you to do. That's going to feel really good. And the rewards are going to be huge for that, as opposed to not much. It's a choice we make. First Corinthians 3, each man's work, work will become evident the day. That's the day we stand before Jesus. We'll show it. It is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. He will receive a reward. He'll be recompensed. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss but he himself shall be saved yet so as through fire, smelling like smoke, you'll have nothing to show for the life that you've lived before Christ. Romans 14, 10, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God, so then each one of us will give an account. It's called an accountability group. <laughs> but I'm not the one that's saying, hey, did you read your Bible this week? You'll stand before Jesus and give an account. Uh, to him for the life that you've lived. So I was going to go over seven rewards, but we're out of time. So you're just going to have to guess what the blanks are. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And I pray that you would motivate us uh, to read, to memorize, to study your word because it's such the uh, important key. It's the foundation to every other discipline. And uh, Lord, our growth, our character, our strength, our joy, the power of our praying, everything grows out of the soil of your word that we faithfully, daily read, memorize, study. It abides in us. It abides in us. It lives in us. And I, I just pray that we would be those who are motivated. Thank you for the promises that you've given us in your word that you have put there in order to motivate us, to stir us on so that we would grow to the point of saying our delight is in the law of the Lord, our delight is in the Word of God, and we read it, and we faithfully study it, and memorize it, and apply it. 
Thank you for the fact that we are going to live with you. And Lord, we all of us want to do really well the day we stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.